I am now back from the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting from New Orleans. I want to, of course, report on what we did there, but then get to some of the ideas undergirding those events on this week's Corey Truax Show. We did a lot, and knowing that this is not a thoroughly Southern Baptist audience of mine, I won't belabor or spend too much time on the particulars, but if you are just coming from any perspective, believer or unbeliever, this is the largest gathering of Protestants in the country in which you live, assuming you're listening in the United States. So it's a significant happening, so I'll give you some of those details of what took place, and then more importantly and more universal for everyone are the ideas, the scriptures, the arguments that undergird the events and the personalities. We'll get started on that in just a moment. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts. I mean this. Thank you for listening. It means the world to me every week when I go look at some metrics and know there are people on the planet that care to find out what I'm thinking about a given topic or what's going on in the world. I never want to take for granted, even as small as this audience is. Thank you for spending time every week. You can reach me at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, or find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and give me any kind of feedback that you want. Here are just the headlines from the Southern Baptist Convention. Number one, three churches were disfellowshipped, one or two of them because of their position outside of Baptist orthodoxy, our Baptist faith and message. Our that's, That would be our, uh, our document that lays out our our faith statements, uh, for just openly ordaining and having in eldership women as elders. The, another church was disfellowshipped because it wasn't that they had unqualified women, they had an unqualified man, a man very obviously an, an abusive person uh, and using how he used women, uh, formerly an Anglican guy, and they were disfellowshipped as well. And these happened by wide margins, telling us that these are not hot hotly contested arguments in Southern Baptist life. We tend to agree on what the word pastor is. We're not going to need Matt Walsh to come along and instead of doing a documentary called What is a Woman to do a documentary called What is a Pastor. We know what an elder, bishop, pastor is, that they're all interchangeable. So those were disfellowshipped. That was one of the things we did. Let me immediately dig into an idea underneath it. Oh, oh no, by the way, I should also mention, we started the process of amending our Southern Baptist Constitution to further clarify what what the role of pastor is, what that word means. I, I won't belabor it because I've covered it on the show before. We just have lots of churches that use the word pastor for people who aren't pastors. They lead worship and they're called a worship pastor. They are doing ministry with youth or children and they're not one of the pastors, they're not one of the elders, but they put the word pastor on there. So we're starting the process of clarifying what that word means because words matter, terms matter, and we should have a, a church robust in its understanding of its of its offices and who belongs in which one. So we did those things. We clarified the roles of men and women. Now, argument underneath. I know where we live, and I know when we live, and immediately that that conversation, those actions got read as a commentary on women, on what. Great Commission Baptist or Southern Baptist, whatever you prefer. What they think about the value or the honor or the... How about this one? I I was seeing commentary making it seem like there was a question about the capability 
or the, the intellectual capacity of what a woman can do. I want to say at the outset, especially if you need to explain this to somebody, like what do the Southern Baptists do with this, all this women stuff? Well, we were making no statements about the capacity or the ability of women. Listen, there are some folks inside Christianity that I think probably would make some arguments about capacity. They would probably call it gifting. Uh, Men being particularly gifted as leaders and women are just never gifted as leaders because they're never supposed to lead anything. I love those dudes. Uh, I know where they're coming from. I just need you to know that's not what, what was being argued here. All that was being argued here was not about capacity or ability. They are, we we're just arguing about fealty to Scripture. This actually wasn't an argument about women. This was an argument about whether or not the very clear text, listen, some texts aren't clear. There are some things in the Bible that I think you got to put into a category of disputed doctrines where it's just not quite clear. But this one just isn't one of them. The assumption and the outright statements in Paul's letter to Timothy and Titus, we just know that the two offices that are given to the church, there are elders and there are deacons. That word elders interchangeable with bishop and overseer. We use the pastor in, in latter days, but we have pastors and we have deacons, and it is really clear scripturally uh, there's no, no reason to change it. Men serve as elders, not because of their particular skill set over a woman, because it's not all men. Not all men are called. There's a particular set of men with a particular calling that God will equip to lead. That makes no commentary on women, makes no commentary on men, except to say that they are different. They are distinct. They aren't egalitarian. They aren't the same. They are, men and women are the same in value, and they are distinct in role. So it wasn't an argument about a, women's, a woman's ability. It was an argument about the fealty to Scripture and whether or not we're going to hold to it. It wasn't a commentary about women. It's a commentary about the church and how it's run. The Lord loves the church. It's the bride for whom he died, for which he died. I don't know which one of those is better. He gave us instructions on how to run it. The person who gave us the church gave us this great gift. I want to listen to him and how he told us to govern that church. And I would just argue for those saying that we were, we were doing something particular uh, to dishonor women. Remember that one of the three churches we dis, that we disfellowshipped in this meeting was a church employing a man who was unqualified. Not just two churches that were had, had women elders. We disfellowshipped a church with a man who was an immoral man who's unqualified himself to be the leader of a church. That's not the actions of a room full of people who just hate women or something. So that's what we did on the role of women and the ideas undergirding it. Not a statement about their ability. It's a statement about the Bible. Two, I don't know if I have the, the an undergirding idea on this. I just want you to know what we did. I mean, since 2018, along with every other institution, religious, public schools, like all, all across Hollywood, music industry, we've been dealing with decades and decades, if not centuries, of just men using their power to get what they want sexually from women. Unfortunately, churches in the Southern Baptist Convention are not, we're not exempt. We've been dealing with that since 2018. Two years ago in Nashville, the Convention of Churches chose to create a task force to come up with a plan. This year they presented part of that plan and asked for another year 
to finish it up. I think they're doing a great job. I'm encouraged by it. Where we're going to have a, a ministry check website with three categories, where if a person, I'm going to say man here, if a man has confessed to sexual abuse, been convicted by a criminal court for sexual abuse of some sort, or has had a judgment against them in civil court, one of those three strings, confession, conviction, or judgment, then if you go to our website and you look for the name and the social security number and all that, you can know who you're trying to hire. What they're going to spend the next year doing, and I, I trust will do a good job, is figuring out a fourth category called credibly accused. No, no conviction, no judgment, no confession, but there are really muddy situations. And you don't. I mean, we want to be careful. If we're people of God's law, you do not want false accusations. You don't want to ruin somebody. It's unjust to ruin somebody off of insufficient evidence. But we're going to have to work through what it means to actually be credibly accused. Uh, and so we, we wrestled through that as well. I guess if there is an idea underneath that, it is we want to be just. We want to protect people. It's part of a church's job to protect women and children. It's also, while we're doing that, it's a church's job to protect the integrity of someone who might be accused of something and be innocent. And then underneath all that one level more, it's, it's that we are going to be a, we're going to be a people rightly ordered in our spaces and in our churches, that we have good, that we have good order about who we're hiring, that we're not going to act like the world, because we've been acting like the world. I, I did on the show recently. There was that story about public school system. And it's moving abusive people throughout different jobs. We don't want to do that. We want to protect for decades to come and centuries to come our kids. I'll leave it there. Well, let's do this one. I th- there was an election of, a re-election of the president of the Southern Baptist Convention named Bart Barber. I don't, I don't really want to say much about his opponent but the things I do have to say are, I, I want to be gentle here, are directed more at his opponent's loudest supporters. I, I think there's a vein in Southern Baptist life of, they'll get, they will get denigrated as heretic hunters. They're just looking for heresy everywhere, and when you look for heresy, like when you're a heretic hammer, Everything looks like a nail. You just find something to hit. I have described the group I'm talking about as seeing a liberal around every corner, and under every rock there's a threat of liberal drift, and we are on the precipice of disaster. I don't think those people are right, but I think they have value. And I, I started to think about it this way on, my, on the drive back, long drive back from New Orleans. They're starting to become quite the catalog of people that I agree with positionally that are basically abhorrent dispositionally. I think my earliest version of this was the defund the police people. I, I understood what they meant. They don't actually mean, to, well, most of them don't actually mean defund the police. They mean reallocate different resources. Some of them end up meaning we want, we want police, more police, and just more resources for different kinds of police and different 
I, 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 they were saying the words, defund the police, and they didn't mean it. And I said back then I wanted to get to a room with them and say, hey, I kind of think what you want is good, and you're terrible at it. You're terrible at getting what you want because you're so intent on saying the thing you want to say the way you want to say it. You're utterly ineffective and totally ineffective. And it, people that would otherwise be your allies, we want nothing to do with you. Because while you're positionally sounding correct, your disposition is so off-putting and horrible, I don't want anything to do with you. And I, I want to argue to people that I suspect are I'm sympathetic to, people that I would be positionally on the same side of. Your disposition is so off-putting. You are alienating people needlessly. I'll give you just one example from the convention. Listen, it, it was only two years ago that I even found out that there were Christians that thought women who had abortion should get the death penalty. I mean that. I was 35 years old. I had been in pastoral ministry for almost 10 years. been at church my whole life. I didn't know there were any Christians that thought we should execute women who have abortions. And then... After learning that, finding out there's some nuance to that group, and they don't think that should happen right now, and they don't think this should happen retroactively, but are wanting to work towards a world where abortion is so unthinkable, we value life enough, and we value the image of God on people enough, that it's so unthinkable and horrific that the death penalty would happen in the future. Like I, I find that out later. But this group, that I, I positionally, I find them correct. That's how important life is dispositionally, they're impossible to like. And I don't, I, don't, I don't like that. I want the people with right positions to be effective. Here's the example from this year. The seminary presidents give a, give a report on how their seminary is doing. So we have six seminaries. They're important to me. I, I could start saying names here, and I, I probably shouldn't because I'm going to leave names out. But I think long-term. I think of the youngest kids in my church. I should, probably shouldn't say their names because they're kids. But I think of the Wooten kids and the Rice kids. I think of the Wilkins kids. And I know that I'll get to pastor them for a while. But they're going to be my age one day, and I won't be then. I will likely not be their pastor then. Our, our lead pastor, Doug, won't be their pastor then. And I don't just don't think about them. I think about their kids, and I think about those kids' kids. And I want to know that there's going to be well-qualified men, biblically sound, with seminaries that are healthy enough to inform them, so that our, right now, the infants at Beachwood Church, that there's kids, kids, kids can have awesome pastors. And so these men are up reporting on their seminaries, and then it comes to question and answer time, and they get basically gotcha questions about abortion. Like, they said nothing about abortion. It's not part of their report. And then one of the abolitionist people who, again, positionally, I think you're correct, will come to the microphone and say, if a woman kills her child two weeks after the child's born, you believe she'd get the death penalty. But if that woman takes some pills to execute that child 20 weeks before it's born, why don't you think she should get death penalty then? Okay. Like, I, all right, guys. I get, there's an argument here, and if, if they would form it this way, I'd respect them better. If they would say, hey, you're hiring faculty. So I'm concerned about the faculty we hire, and since you're making the decision, 
I'd like to know this about you because it will tell me what I need to know about the faculty you hire and whether or not you're being really careful about them who's going to train our next generation of pastors. It'd be one thing if they framed it like that. And they don't, though. It, it makes me want to go to a microphone and say, "You guys, you haven't won the argument yet. I am super plugged into this stuff. I didn't know you existed till two years ago. I didn't know you existed. And now you're at microphones demanding of people who are only finding out you exist that still find, who still hear what you think and have enough worldliness that what you think blows them away. And you just want to drag them by their nose. You're not effective. You're ineffective in the room and you're actually harming your cause because of the attitude. I, th- I thought about it like back when, after the 2020 election, and there were people saying the election was rigged. I knew what they meant. A lot of them didn't mean that votes were improperly calculated by some software. What they meant was the media wouldn't tell the Hunter Biden laptop story. The media would, they overplayed COVID. And so the, uh, the, the election was rigged. And so I, I look at them and say, I know what you mean, and I positionally, I'm, I mostly agree with you, but dispositionally, the way you're, you, you say those words, the election's rigged, that just immediately makes a lot of people go, oh, so you're crazy. You're a conspiracy theorist. Right? I don't want to listen to you anymore. And it, just, I, it keeps coming back to this in my life lately. Or I'm just asking the question, do you want to be right, or do you want to be effective, or do you want to be both? Because right now, it seems like a lot of you want to be right, and you could care less if you're effective. You just want to say the right thing right now. All right. Let's see how it works for you. I'm telling you, I don't, I don't think it's going to be effective for you. I'll, just, I'll give you a, another ex- example of this. By the way, I'm, I'm about to hit some other folks opposite these guys in a minute. and do, I hope this is coming across as ideas underneath. It's one thing for us to have these debates with one another and some and some people be positionally correct but I'm trying to get to the the idea underneath is being dispositionally pleasant is very helpful like there's there's a guy I like a lot positionally he's he runs founders ministries I like Tom Askell a lot I'm so glad he's a Southern Baptist I hope he doesn't get discouraged and leave he's very important but like even with him sometimes I know this is going to come across so hypocritical, but there's a, sometimes in his presentation, there's such a know-it-all-ism. Listen, I know immediately. I'm a know-it-all. Drips off of me. But you know, in actual debate and discussion, I, I tend not to be that way. I almost always present my positions as questions. Hey, here's where I stand. This is my take. What do you think about that? Now, listen, there's a place for thus saith the Lord. There's a place for it. Obviously, it's all in the Bible. Stuff in the Bible, there's a place for it. I'm saying that if everything is always, thus saith the Lord. I just, there's a know-it-allism to that that doesn't make me want to talk with you. Like there's, there, there are, I've had this at work in the past, where I think the person was bringing up a topic for conversation, but the way he, uh, they, let's go they, uh, they said it, it was just a statement of fact. I was like, so we're not talking about it, right? Like, you're not asking for my opinion. The way you said it, you're done. You made the call. There's there's a way to win people over. And I think I'm fairly reasonable. I've changed my mind on a lot in my adult life. 
I can be one. The way, I tell you, I, I can't be one by just yelling at me and being a know-it-all. I can't. I'll, I, I'll end up coming your way if you're right because I just care about what's right. But I'm going to come your way and just hope I never have to interact with you. And it makes me not want to even win other people to your side. Because dispositionally, you're so disagreeable. So that's one of the things that I, I came out of, a deeper thought from the convention. There are a lot of people with good positions, and I want them to be effective, and I want, them to, I want to help them win, and they seem to have no interest in winning and winning people over. So let's be people both having correct positions, and our disposition be one that can actually win some folks. Now, on the other side of that, for example, here's a, a very good example of someone who did the exact wrong thing. We had a, every, every convention has a sermon. And this guy was one of the, I forgot his name, he is the head of the North Carolina Baptist Convention. One of the better communicators you could ask for. Just a really compelling, charismatic guy. But he, he came with an agenda, most certainly. And he's, he came at an agenda to hit back at people that I just kind of hit. But at the exact wrong time and in the wrong way. Just to give you some context, the, the day before the sermon, the people that he was aiming at, their, their, uh, their preferred candidate for president of the convention lost. After a disagreement in a family, after a disagreement in a marriage, after a disagreement in a church, those who came out on the, let's say they, they feel like they, lo- they lost, it's really important for the attitude to be about reconciliation and not rejection. The attitude can't be, you are wrong and I reject you. The attitude is, we disagree, can, can we still be reconciled? Conciliatory language is what that moment needed. And he came in fire, just came in firing away. For those of us in the know, his veiled uh, references were very clear. Like I even asked someone with us if he if he understood some of the references in the sermon, and that person did not know. Because they're not as plugged in as I am. But like this guy got up and said something about, uh, do you want to be associated with people doing effective things for the gospel or making low-quality synodocs? And it was an obvious hit at Tom Askell and Founders Ministry for their Proposition 9 synodoc. It was, he said something about, uh, do you want to be with some people doing whatever effectiveness for the gospel? Or someone who sues the saints. If you don't know the story, the, the other candidate in the race, Mike Stone, sued Russell Moore. He, and he says, because he sued him for defamation, uh, Mike Stone says he sued Russell Moore to get to the discovery phase of that process so he could get some documents. Like, guys, Mike Stone just lost an election. You just got your way. And your brothers in Christ, listen to me, your brothers in Christ, they actually have the same goal in mind. They have a different disposition than you. And I just said their disposition often is off-putting to me. You want to kick dirt in their eye? You want to alienate them? Not invite them back in? Not invite back into some kind of brotherhood? What a missed opportunity. And talk about your, in this case, I would consider his position often to be to be wrong, but the disposition is the wrong thing. It occurs to me to say it this way in the moment. 
Just stop being at war all the time. We don't need to be at war all the time. We need conciliatory efforts. Efforts at reconciliation. That's in large part what happened at the Southern Baptist Convention, and that's what I, I, I take out of it. We weren't making any commentary on women. We were making a commentary on the word. We're making a commentary on churches being a safe place and being well-ordered for the future. And I hope we can come out recognizing that our dispositions towards one another needs, needs some change. And we want to move towards positional faithfulness. We want to move towards truth more and more all the time. And I just think the way we get there is dispositions of grace, kindness, especially when we're not talking about heresy. I probably could think of more to cover from, uh, and I might in the in future episodes, but for now, uh, that's my take from the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans. We'll do it again next year in Indianapolis. You are listening to The Corey Truax Show wherever you find podcasts. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my name, Corey Truax. I'm easy to find. And you can also subscribe to the show. You can do all of those things wherever you find podcasts and even over at the Anchor app or now Spotify app. Become a monthly contributor to the show if you are so inclined. Two more things I want to do on the show today. One is we had a just a fantastic sermon at Beachwood Sunday. I want to play for you a two-minute clip of it. I'm going to start and stop it. By the way, if you're, I don't know, somehow new to me or forgot, I get to serve the people of Beachwood Church. They're awesome as their pastor for teaching. And all the month of July, I will be preaching, if the Lord allows, uh, starting a series in Hebrews. But we are going through the law right now, the Ten Commandments. This week was the Ninth Commandment, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. There was a two-minute clip here that I just thought was really, really good and good for consumption for everybody. So I'm going to start and stop it along the way. This is our uh, lead pastor, uh, Doug Truax Jr., with a clip from his sermon from Sunday. I'll be in here in a moment with more commentary on it. Embarrassing to me how often through the years Christians that I know that are in my Facebook life or my Twitter life in various ways have shared stories and, and rumors that are utterly false, but it fit a narrative. And we jump on board and we believe it. It's not fitting for believers to be that way. So in this concept of, hey, don't bear false witness, there's a call here to be people striving for the truth in our actual, and actually how we talk to each other, but in our online, online lives as well. It's one of the things I think connects to that Southern Baptist Convention conversation. That the way that we present information online to one another is often for agenda's sake and not being faithful to the whole story. To be careless with our words and to forward every particular thing if it fits how we see the world and how we would like the world to be. We very quickly jump on board with false witnesses in this kind of way. It's imperative that we be people that that speak the truth and live the truth and seek justice. So just as we begin this and we talk about the, the particular precept, I want us all to be a thinking kind of people who recognize the, the, the framework of this commandment. This is set with judicial integrity at the forefront, with a courtroom kind of setting. Life and death are on the line here. And we as a people are being called by God to be a people who seek justice. It is not okay for God's people to see injustice happening in the world and not do something about it. There is, I think about to come up here in the sermon, a, something that's happened in the church the last 
call it decade or so, to get mixed up with worldly definitions of justice versus biblical definitions. And because that world has gotten so messy, some Christians have tapped out and stopped participating in the pursuit of just things in the world. We just can't be those people. Just because the folks who are not aligned with biblical thinking are, quote, pursuing justice, just because they use that language doesn't give us the excuse to stop trying to pursue biblical justice. We can go on and on about how even churches today are talking about social justice, social justice, social justice, and we can complain about how far social justice, even among churches, deviates from real biblical justice. But I think the problem that our culture is facing now with various kinds of justice that miss the mark of God's biblical justice has to be laid firmly at the feet of God's people. Because the church so often through our history has not cried out for justice, the world is going to cry out for some kind of justice. And when they do it, and when the church capitulates to their standard of justice, it will not look like God's justice. God's people have to be a people for justice. You and I, in spite of all of the, the woke language and critical theory language that just sort of pervades all of the conversations in our, our current cultural climate, we can't be a people who turn a blind eye to justice because that seems to be the language of the world. No, justice is the language of our God. Amen. He is holy and righteous and just, and he demands that we be a people who are concerned with justice. Good word. And it's, as we're concerned with justice, it, it connected directly to that commandment that we don't bear false things. We don't present to the world information in deceiving ways so as to create injustice, even if it is f something better for ourselves. Again, I wanted to do that right there because it connects, I think, to conversations around church stuff. we got to communicate with each other in honesty, looking for justice to happen, and you're not going to get there unless you're communicating with each other with this in mind. I am going to bear to my neighbor the, the truth. And, uh, and as we do that, we're going to end up pursuing justice together because the truth has been spoken. Which leads me to my final thing today. As I'm talking to you, I don't know when I'm going to get this posted, but as I'm talking to you, it is Monday, June 19th. It is Juneteenth. I think that's our national holiday now. But I've, I've actually talked about this on the show for more than, I had the show for 10 years now. I've talked about this long before it was a federal holiday. It, it, this was one of the ways the church once did great justice. Yes, there were definitely Christians on the other side of slavery that used the Bible, bastardized the Bible to make horrific arguments in, flavor, in, in favor of slavery, despite the law, the Old Testament law, saying man-stealing, uh, uh, well, the man-stealing was punishable by death, and stealing someone's labor, for that matter, is, is condemned in the law. But it was a lot of Christians who were part of the anti-slavery movement, and Juneteenth is the day when the news, the news of slavery ending, finally gets to Texas. So there are slaves in Texas who had been freed legally who didn't know. It took them two years to find out. So while I, I want to recognize that, celebrate today in American history, if you are in this context, I also love this analogy. I've heard plenty of people give it, so it's, it's not original to me. There's something vaguely and shadow-like gospel pictured in, in the story of Juneteenth. 
There were people already free. They were free from their bondage. They were, they just didn't know. No one had told them. No one told them freedom had come from their bondage. And that, to not at all diminish the severity and horrific nature of American labor slavery, we know that the worst slavery is to sin. And there's a freedom for it. And there are people who need to know. Hey, there's, you, you have been freed. There's a way free from your bondage to whatever slavery of sin that you have. This day is both sweet and good to celebrate. It's also powerfully analogous to gospel sharing. I had a couple of things I wanted to do on the show, but I have run out of time. Like, not It's an artificial time keeper because I actually just have other stuff I have to do in my life. Uh, but I hope to come back next week with some more commentary. Would love to get your thoughts uh, fa- on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can message me or you can email the show, Show at gmail.com. You can also, uh, I think the voicemail option is still available on the spot- Spotify or Anchor option if you want to just call in and leave thoughts. I'd love to get you guys participating more in the show. I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Act Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.